WPSL Port St. Lucie. And now it's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and welcome to We Are Just Christians. Thank you so much for tuning into the show this morning. Happy New Year to everyone. Hope things go well for you this year. And of course, that will always be true if we put our confidence in the Lord and have have faith and trust in him and do the things that he tells us to do. That's what this show is about, how to spiritually uh, live our life in such a way as to be pleasing to God and go back and be just a Christian like they were in the first century, not part of some man-made denomination or some following the traditions of men, both secular and religious men. We don't believe in following either one of their <coughs> pardon me, traditions. That's what We Are Just Christians is about. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show, and we'll invite your participation. I'll give you the numbers for that in just a moment. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ here on Savona Boulevard, and uh, Gary Jones is able to be back with us today. How are you doing, Gary? Uh, usual partner. I'm, I'm doing okay, Mike. It's good to be back. Good to be back. He a, sounds, lot, a lot better than it was. Yeah, he sounds a lot better than he did a week or two ago, that's for sure, so we're glad Gary's doing better back on the road to recovery. And uh, uh, that we can both be together again. It makes it a lot easier, more enjoyable, better show. So we're, we're thankful for that and glad that you're with us. If you'd like to participate today, let me give you the numbers. You can reach us live here on the radio at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number to call. I think that's the usual WPSL call number, but they're... Uh, Ray at the station there put you right on through to us, and we can have a conversation. That's what we like. If you want to call in, just ask a question and go. That's okay, too. We appreciate you participating. But we'll put you to the front of the line, as it were. Now, if you'd like to reach us otherwise, we have a couple of other ways you can reach us. Number one is by text message. If you can't, if you can't call in today, you can text us. I think we've already received a text today, and we'll try to respond to that. But 772 6120 is my text number, 772-260-6120. Gary's text number is very similar, 772-260-6220. 772-260-6220. Those are the text numbers. We'll try to respond during the show. If not, we'll respond to you some other time. And you can use those numbers anytime that you want to during the week. That'll be okay. If you'd like to reach us, and sometimes people do. We also have an email address, which is justchristians at att.net. Uh, email allows you to kind of do it a little bit different timing and also maybe a little longer, seven, seven, but it's justchristians at att.net. Gives us more time to think about it. Well, that's answer. true. That's true. Now, what the premise of the show is, since we're uh, trying, to, trying to present this idea here in Port St. Lucie of being just a Christian, and not according to human denominations or or the thought process of humans entirely. And we base, we're trying to base everything on what the Bible says, particularly the law of Christ in the New Testament. We're going to try to give you an answer to whatever question or comment you make based upon our understanding of the scriptures. And we're going to invite you to look those up, maybe add something to that. Maybe we've left something out. That's fine. You can help tell us about that. But uh, we're going to try to give you an answer based on the Bible, and we'd ask you to go ahead and write down the scriptures that we give you or uh, look something up, and then you can respond in kind. So that's the idea. That's the premise of the show. It isn't just to throw out our opinions on everything. Now, of course, every human being has presuppositions that they operate under. This show operates under a fundamental presupposition, among others, that we can know truth. We can understand the truth. And that God presented it in such a way that it correspond his world in such a way that it corresponds to our mind and that it's possible to have understanding and that we can communicate about that understanding. We don't always agree, but we can at least communicate about these ideas. At least that's the way he planned it. He planned it that way. He intends for us to understand his word. So don't buy into the religious idea you hear sometimes sounds really high and high and uh, exotic that the truth is so far out there that we really can't understand anything and so forth. God, God intended for the Bible to be understood, and for us in the 21st century, 
to live by the Bible. It was intended to be passed on from generation to generation to be a covenant for for humanity. Well, the verse that I talk about a lot is John 12, 48. In the last half of that verse, Jesus says, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. There is a basically what's a, uh, an inference from that that you that you should be able to understand his word. Right. That's that's the only thing I say. Now, basically, Paul said, I believe, in a verse you quote quite often, and I don't remember the exact place that he wrote to the Ephesians such that they would understand what his knowledge in the in the word of God. Yes, it's Ephesians three, three through five. He said he 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 uh, had received the revelation from God. Paul had as an apostle. And he had written that down in a few words, whereby when you read, he says, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery. Right. So the process was that God revealed his mind to the apostles and the writers of the New Testament. They then were able to write down what God had said to them or revealed to them. And then we're we're supposed to read it and come to the same understanding that he had of it as it was directly revealed to him. Now, that's the process that God says he used. People can dispute that if they'd like, but that's the premise of this show, that we can understand those things and that they are found in the New Testament, a way that we can live not only as individuals, but the way the church can operate and be pleasing to God. So that's the, what the Church of Christ of Savannah Boulevard is about. That's what we're about. And so we appeal to people to take a look at those things. And I think there's a lot of interest in this, Gary, in one way or the other among people, not universal, of course. Some people are only going to listen to the scientist du jour of the moment or whatever the current idea is, or they're going to live their life according to, uh, you know, what a musician or a movie star says. But A man hears what he wants to right. hear and disregards Dis- yeah, the rest. My favorite song, a man <laughs> hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. That's the Simon Garfunkel song, The Boxer. And so, uh, unfortunately, that's just the nature of the world. But God says we're going to be held accountable for what he writes in his word and that we ought to pay attention to that. And I think that the, that, that that sounds negative, but really these things were written for us because God is on our side. He wrote these things to help us, to give us a life that we can live that would be fulfilling and satisfying as well as pleasing to him. And certainly that is exactly the case uh, as is going on now. So in other words, we need to pay attention to the things that uh, that we that we read in the Bible and try to analyze what they are. And of course, Solomon said in the Book of Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun, and that's obviously true because human beings don't change, and the nature of the created world that God made doesn't change. Now we can get more electronic gadgetry, I suppose, but the fundamental things don't change. And really the issue, you know, the issue with electronic gadgetry is, Gary, it's how humans respond to that and what humans do with that gadgetry that it really makes a difference. It isn't that you can split an atom. It's not that you can split an atom. It's what does that mean morally and ethically for human beings when you split atoms? Well, it's it's like I said, we live in, in in a marvelous age. We have computers that if we use them to study God's word, we can do instantaneous searches that it took men hundreds of years ago, hours and days and weeks to do to compare passages in the word of God. We, by the push of a button and the blink of an eye, can have those right before us. We have, we have abilities to study that men of previous ages have never had. Right, right. And we can apply it, and we can understand it, and we can apply it in our life, or we can ignore it and walk away from it. Right. It's your choice is your choice is yours. And there's nothing Mike and I can do that will uh, make you do anything. It's just we always hope that people that listen to us want to hear and understand the word of God. But it's a hope. There's nothing more on our part other than a hope. Yes. Well, I, we um, like I say, we appreciate you listening to the show. We invite your participation today. Uh, in the show, we'll try to, to respond to you. And if you've got a question or a comment, uh, please let that be known. Maybe you just want to get something off your chest about some bad experience with religion or something that happened to you as a child or a question about why God allows or does things that you do. I know people have these questions and they've had bad experiences with people in churches. I understand that because most all of us have. 
And we'd be glad to talk about that. I'm not here to defend what, you know, all the things that people do, but we can't talk about what the Bible says people ought to do, what should have been done. And um, it's important for us to be able to, to figure out what's going on in the world by looking at what God's word says about that. And that's why this show, we talk not only about uh, Bible topics per se, but we also talk about, relate these things to current events as to what's happening around us, maybe sometimes too much, I suppose. But but that's to show people that the Bible speaks to the world today and that having a worldview, as we might call it, I, I know this may not be biblical terminology, but a Christian worldview is an essentially important thing for us to defend. And it can be defended. It can be defended by logic, reason, and so forth, and evidence. Well, Gary, do you have anything? You've been gone for a couple of weeks. Anything been on your mind? Well, you I, 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 was, I had something on my mind, and I'm looking for it right now, Mike, and I can't find it. <laughs> oh, so it, so it, it was on your mind enough to write it down. See, that's right. me. It's, my, it's, my stuff comes in and out of my brain all the time. It, it's like those rooms I walk into and wonder why I walked in there. It's just one of those. That's... Uh, now, John texted this in. He texted something earlier before, but I'm still trying to process. He texted me information uh, uh, about an article that was in Fox News about the fact that, well, the name of the article is uh, Christians Point to Genetic Breakthroughs to Show That Adam and Eve Are Not Incompatible with Evolution. Now, <clears throat> this came up, I think, at some point last week. In our in our show. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry, I missed this message. My apologies. Uh, Jerry is on the phone, and okay. I did not see that message. I apologize, Jerry. Uh, what's on your mind? Uh, good morning, gentlemen. I was wondering about uh, is it uh, 12 days of Hanukkah and the term uh, Haggadah, and it's spell uh, it's a lowercase uh, a h a g a d a. Haggadah, and I wonder if you ever heard that term relating to Hanukkah, and uh, I just wonder what that term was about, uh, Haggadah, it's uh, H-A-G-A-D-A, Haggadah, and I guess it's the, you had the the long version of a vowel and the short, so it's a short version of the A's, or Haggadah. I was just wondering about that term. And I, I'd like to listen off. Oh, Mike, if that will be okay. That's great, Jerry. We really appreciate you calling in very much. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, I, what I know about Haggadah, it does not relate to... Now, I could be wrong about this. So let's just say what I know about it. it does not relate to Hanukkah, even though the words sound alike, but it relates to the Passover. Now, of course, Hanukkah can occur uh, around the time of the Passover. Yeah, well, well, no, that's 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 not correct. It does not occur around the time of the Passover. But Haggadah, Haggadah, however you say it in Hebrew, it it really it it's a word that means to show forth or to proclaim or to declare something. And so when God um, instituted the Passover in the book of Exodus. He, um, he told them that they were to do this in all their generations and that they were to show this forth to their children, as it were. And they were to proclaim this, uh, what this feast meant and what it was about to their children. Let me, let me get to where I can read about this a little bit better. And so... Um, you have this comes up. This comes over into the. I'll get ahead of myself here. Okay. Um, well, you're going to give me a lot of time to find what I was looking for. <laughs> well, the, the uh, this comes over in the New Testament in this way. It comes over in the New Testament when Paul is teaching about what we commonly call the Lord's Supper or the communion, uh, as he institutes that and tells them exactly how to do this. Now, this came out of. And it was originally shown by Jesus to the disciples at what we commonly call the Last Supper. But Paul, since there was some difficulties in the way the Corinthians were doing this, 
Paul then gives precise instructions to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11. Now, bear with me for a minute, and we'll get to the word Haggadah here, or the concept. Paul says that when they were coming together as a church, uh, they were thinking that they were doing the Lord's Supper, but they weren't because there were divisions among them. So he says in verse 20, 1 Corinthians 11, therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. I mean, you're doing something called eating, but you're not eating the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and other is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or despise you the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? I praise you. Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So he says, then he goes on to say in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you. So God told Paul, he received it from God, what they ought to do. He didn't go back and, Paul didn't go back and analyze the Last Supper and decide what he was going to tell these people. He said, this came from the Lord, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do, the, do This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. Now, that word proclaim in the King James Version, for example, says show forth. That's the word that if you took it back into Hebrew, would be Haggadah, Haggadah. I'm not sure where the accent falls on this word, <clears throat> but um, that's the word to proclaim or to show forth. And so here is something that we do on the Lord's Day here in this church. We eat of the eat the bread and we drink the cup. And so doing, we are showing forth or proclaiming that we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're proclaiming his death to the whole world. And so when the Jews back in the Old Testament when they kept the Passover meal and ate the lamb and, and did all the things that they did on that night, they were proclaiming that God was their savior, that he, he had indeed delivered them out of bondage. And so that's why they call it the Haggadah. Now, um, I don't know if they still do this or not, Gary, because I've done we've done Passover demonstrations yeah. here several different times where we go through this whole process of the Passover. And what I've encouraged people to do, and I've got a whole big box of them at home, Publix through Maxwell House Coffee, which is kosher coffee, uh, used to publish a little book called a Haggadah every year to Passover in South Florida. I don't think they do it maybe up here, but I used to live in South Florida. They would have these books in their stores, little, and you could get these little books for free when you bought Maxwell House Coffee, and it shows the par it was in Hebrew and English, showed you how to do a Passover Seder. The Seder is a dinner which gives forth, the word Seder in English means order, gives you an order of how to do the Passover. And when you do things in this order, then you're showing forth, or Haggadah, you're proclaiming this Passover meal and the Passover lamb. So that's what the name of the book is, the Haggadah. It came to mean something more general in showing it forth. So now, is this connected with Hanukkah? Well, that's a question I have to admit that I don't know the answer to. But I will say this, Jerry, this isn't the first time, well, I put it this way. This year is the first time I've heard Hanukkah connected to Haggadah. And you're not the first one who's connected that. And something else I've been, I heard recently or was listening to, they were connecting Haggadah and Hanukkah. And I had not heard that before, so it's new to me. And I have I can't really give. Maybe somebody else can text or call in um, with the answer to that. But I'm not sure why they're connecting it because Hanukkah is a different feast than the Passover. Hanukkah is the commemoration of the events in the temple before Jesus came, in about the year 135 or so. The Maccabees revolted against the. Syrians who had conquered Jerusalem and defiled the temple with offering pigs on the altar. There was a, the Maccabean revolt, the Maccabees family revolted, and they drove out the Syrians. And when they tried to, to cleanse the temple, there wasn't enough oil to keep the lamps burning for eight days to have this cleansing festival. 
and but the oil was miraculously renewed every day until they could resupply it. And this is the reason Jews light candles and remember all that on Hanukkah is because it's a commemoration of the rededication of the temple. And this is the pa- passage that's mentioned uh, uh, with regard to the Feast of Dedication in John chapter 10, where at the feast, Jesus went up to Jerusalem and so forth. Um, now, Ken texts in and says um, that the order of the Passover service uh, is eight days of Hanukkah, not 12. But this is, this is the, the Haggadah is the order or the Seder of the Passover service. And that's what I was trying to say. Maybe I didn't say it that way. And then the Feast of Dedication is Hanukkah, a different time. Hanukkah is, is not considered a feast of the Lord. There's only four of those that are mentioned in Leviticus 23, or is it 13? I better look that up. Uh, but they, they um, hang on, let me see if that's 13 instead of 23. <sighs> uh, why can't I find it here? Maybe it is 23. Uh, yes, it's Leviticus 23. So I was correct in the first place. Isn't that nice? But anyway, Leviticus, that's what came out of my brain initially. Leviticus 23 lists the feast of the Lord. Hanukkah is something that the Jews did themselves at the feast of the Jews. And uh, it wasn't necessarily created by Jehovah, but they did have a big celebration. And Jesus used this opportunity to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, uh, to proclaim himself the light of the world and the bread of and, and the bread of, of life. So, because that's the two things that were associated with this light and bread. And so Jesus used this feast as the opportunity to be the light of the world. They used to light up this whole temple area at night with huge, uh, huge uh, candles, and, I mean, candles, torches and so forth, you see, during the feast of dedication. And Jesus, that's when he, you know, he, he's saying he's the light of the world. And you find this in John 8 uh, up through John 10. In the book in the New Testament. So in any event, Hanukkah became a much more important Jewish holiday, Gary, in the United States since Christmas became important to Christians. Christmas is not was not historically a important day among Christians historically. It was Easter. America, Christmas was popularized in the United States in the last 150 to 200 years and has become the significant so-called Christian holiday. But it's not so in the Bible, for, for sure, and it wasn't so historically. But when Christmas began to rise, it kind of like, it's kind of reflected in that Adam Sandler song. I don't know if Gary's familiar with this. Put on your yarmulke, here comes Hanukkah. It's the Hanukkah song. About a young, about a Jewish kids feeling left out because all their Christian friends have this great holiday where they give gifts. Yeah, most of what I've read has been around that. Yeah, and so you got, you know, put on your yarmulke. Here comes Hanukkah, and you got you got one day, and we got eight crazy nights, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, put away your marijuana because here comes Hanukkah. That, that it's it's an Adam Sandler song. So yeah, you get the drift. It's kind of funny, but it's the idea that of the Jews needing to have a, some kind of a competition, not all Jews, but some of them, with Christmas. And so Hanukkah became important. And it's always been kept by the Jews as a feast of remembrance of a, fe- of a, of a, a miracle that they say occurred. But it certainly ha- doesn't have any uh, Bible authority to celebrate it as a feast, per se, to the Lord. Uh, it's more of a Jewish feast. But there's eight days... Uh, and not 12, eight days in the Passover, and there's 12 of Hanukkah. So that's the difference. Passover begins on a Sabbath and ends on the next Sabbath, and then there's the day of days of unleavened bread that follow that and so forth. I don't know if that answers the question, Jerry, but it means a showing forth. And as a Christian, every first day of the week, as Paul says in in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, when the disciples came together to break bread in the first day of the week, we here at this church proclaim the Lord's death, and if we if the church lasts, we'll do so till he comes, by taking the Lord's Supper and showing the world that we believe that Jesus Christ gave his body and blood to save us, and we're expecting him to return. 
And I because believe- he says he's going to, we're supposed to do this uh, until he comes, you see. Yeah, this is the only one that we are commanded to do. Uh, I mean, there are events in Jesus' life that are recorded. His birth is recorded in, in Luke and mentioned in others. His death on the cross is recorded. His resurrection is recorded. And his ascension is recorded. But we are not told explicitly to celebrate holidays on any of those in Scripture. No. So I would have no idea how to tell you how, how to even begin to celebrate them. I can tell you how to, if you're a Jew, you could read how to celebrate the Feast of the Lord because yes. it told them how to do those things. Yes. They don't even have an explicit declaration of how to, how to celebrate Hanukkah because it's not a Feast of the Lord. But, and, and the same thing is true about Christmas or Easter. We don't know how to celebrate those because there's no instruction from God to even do it. But we are told, this is an important point, we are told how to keep the Lord's Supper and what to do. That's the explicit instructions I just read you in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it says you do this to proclaim, or Haggadah, show forth the Lord's death until he comes, which also adds the element of the, res- of the resurrection, the second coming. If Christ has not been resurrected from the dead, he's not coming again. He's dead. He can't come back from the come back to get us. But he's alive, and we believe that, and we're waiting for him to return to receive the church to himself. And so this, the Lord's Supper, then, is the, is the feast that's instructed in the Bible to keep. And we try to emphasize that in the things that we do here, because that's what the New Testament emphasizes. It's really a simple idea, Gary, to go by what the New Testament says and try to follow that and leave off the other stuff that's just traditional. But it's controversial with people, because, I hate to say this, we tend to, like all of us do, our own ideas, our own customs, really better than the Lord's. And, That's and, what Jesus said in Matthew 23. Yeah. We'd rather keep our tradition and reject his word. Anyway, go ahead. Well, the only thing I would say about these holidays is uh, we do not celebrate them here in in this church or this ga- our gathering. As a church. Right. As a church. Mm-hmm. We do not celebrate them. I don't think there's anything in Scripture that says as an individual you cannot celebrate them if you want to celebrate them to the Lord. Right. Since there is nothing inherently immoral in what you do to celebrate these holidays, then I think you have individual liberty, according to Romans right. 14 and, and uh, 1 Corinthians 8. I think you have individual liberty if you want to keep those days to the Lord. That's your business. But we have no business as a church teaching people that this is what Christ told us to do to do these things or even hitting in any way that this is what God wants you to do and, and yeah. binding it upon binding others. anybody else not going to do that. Now the difference in that and other, other pagan holidays is this. The reason they couldn't keep pagan holidays as Christians, is because those, those things involved doing something that was explicitly forbidden, right. giving honor to a false God. Now when a person in their own mind honors Christ on December 25th, they're not, honoring a false god, they may be going beyond what the Bible says to do about that, and we're not going to do that as a church, but the Bible kind of says each man can keep each day to himself, you know, if he keeps it to the Lord. So that's the way, we don't, so we don't have a rule here, we, don't, we couldn't give you a rule that says you can't um, do something at home by yourself, or whatever the case may be, but you can't buy, buy it other people. I'm not going to stay in the pulpit here and teach them, teach people what they ought to do on Easter or Christmas or Halloween or any other holiday. All Saints Day, uh, the Assumption of Mary, all the other religious holidays. It's funny how it's funny how we picked out a couple that we like, you know, uh, and we leave out all the other so-called holy days of the Catholic Church. Well, see, that's why that's that's why days. I mentioned what you know. There there are days in mm-hmm. Jesus's life that are described in the Bible. His birth is described. And it's given some importance in the Bible that he came. He came according to prophecy. There are there are things that he did in his life that are described that are important because they fulfill things. But we are not directed to keep them as holidays. Right. Now, okay. having said that, you know, that's that's I'll all my how, observation. I'll tell you how bad a curmudgeon I am, Gary. Because <laughs> I was telling somebody the day before yesterday or something, I think my memory is correct. I noticed this a while back. I was telling my wife about it. In my reading, I'm reading in the New Testament about the story of Jesus' birth. And so I read all the gospel accounts of his birth. 
and there's one small reference, kind of a passing reference, that there were shepherds in the field keeping their flocks by night. Now, that's when the angels appeared to them and said, a Savior has been born. Now, that's the only reference that I can find, unless I'm mistaken, and of course I could be, but I don't think I am. Uh, unless I'm mistaken, that's the only reference to Jesus being born at night, and it doesn't even say that he was born at night. It just says that shepherds angels, were in the field at night, and, and the, the angels, angels came. could have been born in the afternoon, but they didn't come till later. We just don't know. And yet you have all of these Christmas carols, which I like. Don't get me wrong. I like them all. My favorite Christmas carol, one of my favorite songs of ever, is Oh Holy Night. The stars are brightly shining and so forth. Fall on your knees. That's one of my favorite songs, so I'm not against them. But do we have explicit scriptural teaching that this birth occurred? It came upon a midnight clear. Silent night, holy night. And on and on, I could list all these songs. So what that shows you is that humans have taken something that the Bible not even only obliquely mentions about this event and elevated it because it's romantic and nostalgic and so forth and so on into some place it doesn't have in the scripture at all. It's been elevated to a place it doesn't have on on a you know on an assumption because humans like it, not because God said this is the thing you should be remembering. At least that's my curmudgeonly and I just want you to watch out for that stuff. The idea that I said I'm in classmates and the idea that the shepherds, I mean that the three wise men went to the manger there and met the little drummer boy and 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 the boy that had the Christmas socks or whatever it were and Nestor the donkey and all these other traditions, all that kind of stuff garbled up together. The Bible doesn't say that the sh that the wise men were ever at a manger. They went to the house years later apparently. That's why that's why Herod wanted to kill all the babies under two years old. Why would he have done that if the time that Jesus was born, it was right there, and they went to the manger right there? If he was only hours time. old, why? Why yeah. kill all the babies under yeah. two years old? It makes no sense. But it's obvious that they had been following the star for a long time, and they said the star meant that he had been born already, and they followed that star walking all the way from what is now Babylon, probably, or, or Syria, all the way there. I, I don't know, Gary. It's just I think one translation too much. uses Arabia. Yeah, well, that would be anywhere to the to the east of Palestine. Back, back. So there's so there's these. I guess it's just my aversion to emphasizing or elevating the traditions that have accumulated around the Bible based on human assumptions, and sometimes just poor exegesis, and sometimes it's just additions to the Bible like the names of the three wise men, and that there were only three wise men. The Bible doesn't even tell us how many wise men. It tells us how many gifts they gave. And for all we know, there were seven wise men. Two of, two of them gave, yeah, and three gifts, because two of them gave gold. Two of them, you know what I'm saying, or because yeah. they all just uh, How many gifts of gold together. were there? How many gifts of friends? Right, or they all pitched in and bought these three gifts. I don't know the answers to those questions. And yet we've romanticized it in a way that the Bible never and made it a, made it something that the Bible doesn't speak of. And I'm I'm against that because I think that although it may be harmless in some way, well, it the, certainly the, doesn't. Mike, the, the 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 thing that happens here is we are sloppy in our determination of what the Bible really says to us. It's one of the the reasons that I, in in many ways, and if you come and listen to some of the classes we do here. We're, we're going to try to tell you how to look at the Bible, what things to look at, what questions to ask, how to tie one scripture to another in the way that God meant them to be as best we can tell to get the meaning that's there because it's just abused in so many ways. There are, there are so many things written out there that are just, when I, when I pick them up and read them, I'm just shocked when I look at it. And I try to go back to the scripture and understand what was said. It, it's just not there. And so we need to pay more attention to how we study, how we look at the Bible, how we get things from it. Paul did write to the Ephesians so that when they read it, they could understand it. But basically, they had to apply a certain amount of critical right. thinking to it. Right. Now, now this is uh, I had a text from John. It must be warmer weather. Now, I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, what that text means. 
uh, as far as what John is getting at. But I, I think if I understand it, he's saying that maybe it was warmer weather in Palestine. And that's true. For one thing, I don't think that the birth of Jesus occurred in late December in Palestine. The, she- the shepherds are not in the fields at that time. It gets pretty cold there. And, and it gets cooler. Well, I was going to say comment, comment about that, but it's most likely based on the timing in the Bible of, of uh, what's his name, um, uh, Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, being a priest at, in the order of Abijah, that the time of that order of priest was sometime in September. Most likely date for Christ's birth is in September, uh, not in December, which placed it around the other other feasts of the Lord. And secondly, I've been to Israel in January, and it's not that cold. It's cool. It'd be like North Florida, perhaps. Well, it but can't. It, it can snow there, but it, it can, can snow in North Florida. I've, I've seen it pictures can, of the Wailing Wall with snow all It over can there. snow there. It it doesn't snow that all. But but our Gary, our pictures of our idea that oh it's got to be cold at Christmas, don't come from Palestine. They come from Europe. Come from Connecticut. <laughs> they, they come from Catholics in Europe and and in the northern part of the United States in Connecticut. You're right, right up in the north, celebrating and inventing a holiday called Christmas at winter time. But a lot of the traditions of, of St. Nicholas, uh, Santa Claus, and the North Pole and all that all come out of Europe, not out of Palestine. The sleigh and reindeer. So they're not, based, they're not based on the Bible story at all. Now, to go back and try to transpose that back onto the Bible is a futile exercise. Yes, it can, it can snow. I mean, it snowed in Fort Lauderdale one day. I was there, but, but it was sort of grainy little misty snow, but... It can well, it's, snow it's, there, but it's not common. It isn't part, the natural climate of Palestine oh, for yeah. there to be a lot of snow in Jerusalem. Um, or well, Sharon in and area. I have been here it's in, in South Florida since 1970, and I believe it was 1975 or 1976. It snowed in Stewart about. It was se- it was se- 19, 60- it was January of 1977 because I live a little okay. south of here. January 20th, 25th, 27th, something like that of 19. That was one of the coldest winters we've had in yep. in a century here uh, in in, uh, in the United States. There was about a quarter of yeah. an inch of snow on the windshield wipers of my van out in front of my house. We had come from we, we we were living in Deerfield Beach at the time. I was preaching in Boca Raton. I had a little. We had a newborn baby, and um, well, he was about a year old, and so our power went out down there. So we came to West Palm because my parents, living in West Palm, had electricity. We were up there that that morning, and they said it was going to snow. And I went outside, and sure enough, there was a little bit of still coming down a little bit. It was on the palm trees in my parents' front yard, and so it was pretty pretty fun. I took a few pictures, but then when my grandfather, Mister, he, you think I'm a curmudgeon? Oh my goodness, my grandfather was the original curmudgeon. When he got up about ten o'clock, and we said, "Pop, it snowed this morning," he said. You boys will believe anything you see on TV. <laughs> I said, I said, I saw it. He said, so he kind of got up and looked out. There. He said, I don't see no snow out there. Of course, it all melted by by ten o'clock. It's all right, gone. gone. A few little snowflakes on palm leaves. But but he never did believe. Of course, he didn't believe men ever landed on the moon either. So he said, you boys will believe anything you see on that TV. And I, of course, you know what? That's a little prescient, isn't it? <laughs> he was ahead of his time, actually. <laughs> but. Uh, Yes, we should go back and follow the customs of the New Testament and get rid of all this uh, baggage around Christianity, which only hinders people uh, from understanding what the Bible says about things and will eventually hinder us from the truth. Well, Jerry, we appreciate your um, your question about Haggadah, but you can probably find those books. You look this year during Passover season. And you'll find those books. Now, of course, you can buy very expensive Haggadahs on the Internet and other places that are ornate. But essentially, from what I was able to research, the essential elements in that Seder and that Haggadah are pretty much as they were for centuries and centuries. We can't prove it was all the way back to the time of Christ. But for centuries and centuries, they've they've been pretty much consistent and how they do things. But we have our Haggadah. 
to show forth the Lord's death in the Lord's Supper. All right, Gary, Jerry, you, I mean, Gary, you were, um, we were going to talk oh, about sorry. something else. And, and yeah, I still can't find it. I, I realized what I, that I had had, I missed a message that Jerry had called. I apologize about that. There's a place in Job where Job says that his, the word of God was always before him in his life. And that impressed me that Job could honestly say, and, and, and I believe he was an honest man, that he could say that in all honesty, that the word of God was always before him in his life that it always influenced what he did. And that just stopped and made me think that, you know, that's really one of the lessons that we should learn from that book is that the word of God really should be before us all the time in our life, every day, at every moment, right? when we make those decisions. Well, and that we should be paying attention to what God wants us to do. Now, some of those things that he wants us to do and some of those things that may not make us happy may may not be things that we like and you know and we like to do only the things that we like so we have to learn those things as well yeah and we tend to that's what jesus was saying about the pharisees is that they they tended to pick out the commandments that they could easily keep and set other other people at naught so they they made traditions about things that they liked and ignored the rest of the law right because they was easy for them to do that and they felt justified the other place where this now uh those have been around me have probably heard me say this a hundred times, but this is what I think is the true meaning of this passage in Deuteronomy chapter four, the Shema is it's called among the Jews. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he says that that's what how every synagogue service begins. And then he hit then he teaches this, which became an extremely important passage there in Deuteronomy 6 is where I, I don't know if I said that Deuteronomy 6 beginning in verse 4 extremely important passage with regard to traditional Jewish uh, religion at the time of Christ he says the words which these words these words which I command you today shall be in your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children by the way we often hear people say well the the, Jew, the Jewish law was an outward law, didn't reach the heart. That's not what the Bible says. God intended for the law of Moses to reach into people's hearts and change their behavior. Because he says, these words which I write, command you, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So there's that ever before you, right? Gary? Right, He's exactly. expressing it that way. Wherever you are. In your house, lying down, sitting up, walking, whatever you're doing, the word of God shall be before you, and you shall teach your children this. Then he says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, the Jews of Jesus' time, well, the, the leaders of the Jews, the scribes and Pharisees, the traditionalists, made that, those commands literal, and so they took little pieces of parchment wrote this wrote these verses on them usually roll them up and put them in these little pouches and they wrapped them on there was i have pictures of the of the jews uh, the orthodox jews in jerusalem with these uh, things strapped to their arms and they would make seven bindings seven wraps around their arm with leather thongs and tie them on their on their wrists right right above their hands or even on the backs of their hands they had these little pouches with scriptures and then they had these things wrapped around their forehead with little pouches where they could slip these little scriptures in there uh, the, and then the these are the phylacteries and that's the frontless between your eyes and then then they would put them on the doorpost of their house you see these little um, um, mezuzah little boxes on jewish houses in the doorposts sometimes on the left sometimes on i mean on the right sometimes on both and they have this scripture and others in those uh, little little pouches that they little boxes they stick on. Now they took it all literally like that. I think what Jesus is really saying is just what you said it's that my be. word is should be ever before you. you. He or God, Moses, I should say, is trying to tell them wherever you go, what you do, whether in your house. And so I look, I say this: whenever your hand reaches out to do something, if you're to call yourself a Christian, the word of God should be controlling your hand. It should be on your hand. It should only be do 
what God would have you to do through his part, word. Part of the decision-making process that the brain does to make your hand reach out and do something should be, how is this going to be looked at by God? Right. How is God going to interpret what I'm doing? Is this something that he would have me do? Right. So you have to you have to use it as the filter. The word of God's the filter that determines what you do with your hands. And then then your eyes, what you see, what you let into your eyes and so forth. So that they wrote the things protected. they wrote the things on passages uh, on pieces of parchment or whatever and taped them to their forehead and they did that instead of taking it into their mind and their heart. In Matthew 23, I think it's 22, he says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for you paid tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Right. An interesting phrase. Right. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Basically, he says, you weren't wrong in paying tithe of the smallest little things in, in your household or the things that you had, but you neglected other things. You should do them all, the small things and the large things. And that means having the word of God always before you. Right. That's uh, just one of the things that sometimes, Mike, there are things here that we just don't want to admit that we left out. Well, you know, this isn't just to be I'm not trying to say these things just so we could uh, say something bad about the Orthodox Jews or something. The people are the same. Nope. This was their this was their way of doing what they wanted to do and appearing to be religious while actually ignoring what the intent of the law was. Modern well, religious people have the same kinds of things. Well, it's not the fact that they were scribes and Pharisees or Jews. They could have been anyone. Yeah, that's what the, I'm saying. The point is they should have done all the things that God told them to do, not just the small things and let the weightier things go. You know that uh, justice, faith, and mercy, mercy means to help someone. Sometimes that's hard to do. You may have to spend <laughs> some money to do that. You yeah. may have to take some time to do that. Uh you know, those are those are important things, but you can't leave out the little things, too. That means, you know, basically that little story you'd like to exaggerate to make yourself look good. Wow. How about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is human be human behavior. OK, this, this and it's particularly it's not just because they were Jews it's because they were men. Right. Humans. Yeah. Now, now, and here's the thing. This shows up in religious people with the way that they do things. But it also shows up in secular people with all of their virtue signaling over whatever the moral cause of the day it is and all the virtue signaling that they do over insignificant matters. But th but they feel real moral about doing that. I always use recycling. You know, they don't mind uh, practicing sexual immorality as long as they recycle properly and as long as they do whatever the latest medical advice on what you should eat or not eat is. They feel real righteous. In fact, it's called orthorexia, or right they, eating. It's a mental disorder. Or they can earn millions upon millions of dollars, which they can have difficulty spending in their lifetime and never help someone in need. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's been proven over and over again that religious people of ordinary means are much more generous givers than secular people are. Okay. Well, it's we can just, spend... We could spend the whole proven. We could spend the whole hour on the definition of that word mercy there and how it's used in various places. Yes, to help people. Yes, it, it's it's not a it's not just a feeling. Right. It all in the Bible. Almost all these things are not many of these things are actual feelings by themselves. They all translate into action, and so yes, that's a good point about uh, the Word of God always being before you, and and that's. That's really kind of what we try to emphasize as far as New Testament Christianity. It's why the, it's why we speak against traditionalism because traditionalism has a way of exalting human ideas, and and then people begin to feel proud because they believe this or that rather than taking the Word of God to heart in in their own life as as to how it can change people. Now, on the other hand, Gary, having a good attitude about things and being a nice person 
can never save anybody. So I don't want our listeners to think that somehow all Mike and Gary just teaching, as long as you're a nice person, help the poor, you're going to go to heaven. I don't think the Bible teaches that. There's more, once again, there's more to it than that. We have to, we have to be bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, which involves repentance of our sins, belief that Jesus Christ is the Lord, being baptized in water for the remission of our sins, according to Acts 2 and Mark 16, 16, and 1 Peter 3, a whole bunch of other verses. Well, we, and and, we, and we, then we've got to try to live faithfully to Christ and follow his will through the leading of the Spirit to be saved. This is what it takes. And so, and, and our, but we have to do, we have to do all of that with the attitude of humility and service to other people like Jesus did. Well, I'd like for our listeners to turn to Hebrews 5, and I'm going to begin reading a little bit after verse 7, maybe. It says, uh, basically, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, he's talking about Jesus here. The Hebrew writer is talking about Jesus. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. We forget that. Right. It means living a life to him. Right. Um, basically, that's he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, talking about Jesus Christ. If you leave that out, folks, uh, I, I don't know how to tell you any other way that uh, those who do not obey are not going to be found uh, at the pleasure of God. Right. We had a text from... Um John, let me, let me find it here again. Uh, John says um, the book of Deuteronomy was uh, supposedly found in a hidden, hidden space in the temple and then read to all the people. Well, um, that event is recorded in 2 Kings chapter 22. You know, it's amazing, Gary. Let me pause here before we read that, and I appreciate John's text. It, it, it's amazing how little time period the Jews of the Old Testament actually kept the law of Moses or even referred to these books. Uh, in the book of Second Kings, he recounts how many years it was between Passover and stuff, and it's just a small percentage of the time of the Old Testament and how that the much, Jews were actually keeping these feasts and, and following the law. And how much it depend on the faith of one man, the king. <laughs> yeah, whatever how the much, king. How much it depended and, and on the faith of the king. It's the way America goes sometimes. Whoever's the president, we all just do whatever they say, and, uh, and we ignore and so it ma I guess it matters because we tend to follow that. But this happened in the book of Second Kings, chapter 22, verse 8. And then Hilkiah, the priest, high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. Now, you have to go do some other stuff to prove that that's the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is just a retelling. Deutero means two. It's the second book second recording of giving. the law, so it's it's got it's a little bit different content than than Exodus, for example, now, is and this Leviticus. The, is I this the say. account of Josiah? Well, let me read the rest of it. Yes, it says, and so he took it to the king, bringing the king the word, saying, "Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, delivered it, and so forth." Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, "Hilkiah the priest has given me a book," and Shaphan read it before the king. Now, it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. This is Josiah. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abkor, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, the servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people of all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord has been aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do that's all in accordance. So anyway, you find then when the temple is finally rebuilt some years later that um, they took this, uh, they, they had this book read before the people. Uh, according to, um, hang on a second here, my brain is, it, it, Ezra the scribe in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, you find them when they rededicated this, they bring out this book. And they began to read it, and all the people stood up, and they read this book to the people, and then all the people wept because they realized they hadn't been doing what God said. 
and and it was an it's it's you'd think you get the impression oh the Jews all people say Gary well what did the Jews do in the Old Testament well the question is not what the Jews did the Jews did pretty much whatever they wanted to do just like we do and just about the like qu- all the nations like, around <laughs> right the question is what did God say they should do that's the question what did God say they should do not what did they do so we'll say well all the Jews kept the Sabbath day no they didn't they did whatever they wanted on the Sabbath day they should have kept the Sabbath day right but they didn't and and so the book is the key God gave the book to the prophets. The prophets wrote these things down, and the people were supposed to read that book, and the king was supposed to teach that book to the people. But it's not what happened, except for rare occasions, like under Josiah, uh, under Ezra, and Nehemiah, and so forth. So, um, and then, he, uh, by the way, it says when in Nehemiah that when they read this book, that the priests then gave the they read it and they gave the sense, meaning that they explained it to the people in in different words, what they should be hearing, right? They gave the sense. So anyway, that's an interesting... Um, also, if you, if you go back and look at Josiah and, and the story there that you were reading, uh, what was the reaction to uh, Josiah's tearing of his clothes? What did the Lord say about that? He said, because you have humbled yourself. Mm-hmm. He, put was, him, he was the king, but he put himself below the Lord. Yes, because you have humbled himself, the things in this book aren't going to come in your lifetime. Yeah, he didn't say they wouldn't come. <laughs> he said they won't come to you in your they lifetime. They won't come to you because of what you did. Right. So that, 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 that now, and that's, that's an important thing, right? There. That's who God listens to. That's who God pays attention mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. And we miss that in reading it. it. It's the humble that God is looking for. Modern man, secular man in our culture, we're taught that we get to be the lord of our own lives. We get to be the king. We get to have the control of our own destiny. And we should take this bull by the horns and live our lives the way we want to. In the Bible, the picture is not that, just the opposite of that. That God is the king. We're to order our life after what he says. This is the fundamental difference between uh, people who are Christians and true, in truth Christians, not just nominal Christians, but in truth Christians. And people in the world or people who do not know God. Now, we can dispute and we can talk about the differences between people who call themselves Christians. And some people are actually following the Bible. Some are and most are not following the Bible, even to call themselves Christians. But the fundamental difference is some people acknowledge that there's a king above them. They have someone over their head. We've had many of our presidents have been these kinds of people. Some have not been. Some only think that they're the king. Other presidents acknowledge, like Abraham Lincoln and others, that there's a God above them. Most of our presidents, until recent years, have acknowledged that they are not the final authority in people's lives. And that's an important distinction, Gary, for people. Uh, And then we need to go. Now, Ken pointed out that Hanukkah is a feast about religious freedom because it was freedom from the persecution of the Syrian Empire. Hasmoneans, and and it, that's how the Jews view Hanukkah as the the God bringing religious freedom to them in the midst of persecution, and so and that's why it's kind of taken on an important distinction with people. Well, we got just about a minute left here, a little over a minute. You want to make a final comment? Then we need to close well, the show. Other, out other than I cannot emphasize the fact that God lives with. He says he lives with in several places. Are he is with those who are of a humble and contrite heart, which means you have to put God before what you want. And you put God before what you want by learning what he wants in the scripture. And unfortunately, if you listen to other sources, you can be lost even though you might be sincere. Jesus says, if if the blind lead the blind, they shall both fall in the ditch. Be sincerely deceived and be wrong. You can be sincerely deceived and be wrong and be lost. It's very, very important to understand what is in the Scripture and what it says. Okay, thank you very much. We appreciate everyone who listened and those who called or texted in today. We thank you very much. We want to invite you to take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Take a look there. You'll find resources like recordings of this show and all the sermons that are preached, other Bible resources, information about the church. We'd like to invite you to our worship services and Bible classes 
2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard in Port St. Lucie, 2196 Southwest Savona. We'd love to have you come. We're not going to ask you for money. Come and join us and find out what's here. Thanks so much. May God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. The Lord has promised.